0: Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties Podcast. Free Press Media Press, Inc., and Alternative Parties Books Publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Greetings. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties Podcast. Today we have a guest, Matt Cornell from the Phoenix Party. Welcome, Matt. I'm sorry. Welcome, Matt.
1: Thank you, Andrew.
0: You're very welcome. Let us get started by you kindly giving us an introduction to yourself, a brief biographical sketch.
1: Well, I am a resident of Colorado and uh uh I've been here for eleven years. And uh I'll share with you my brief background as it pertains to this party. Hey, uh I was originally a Republican in in politics mostly because my family, particularly my mother, was Republican. And so I was sort of raised among that crowd. But as I got older and I dealt deeper into my studies, you know, oh, questions began to come up. And uh, one quickly learns that uh, any given code does not give every answer. So if you are to understand the other side truly then you need to study the contrast, not just have dogmatic adherence to a single idea, which is, I think, what the big problem with the Republican Party is today. Hey. Hey. And this was in as even before, or what happened in the past few years. So, oh, even though I at first affiliated myself as Republican, I first voted for Barack Obama in 2008, you know, that's a that's the right protected by the First Amendment. And, and so, so I, oh, over the years, my my political ideals took a 180, and that was as complete when I was introduced to online, I'm Bernie Sanders, of Vermont, right. and I agree with a lot of his ideas. Yes, and so that's when my, I, and I fully settled into my political medium, and that is a progressive social democrat. And I voted accordingly. Hey, so even though I'm voting Democrat now, now officially, hey, I'm a progressive social democrat. And, and, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my politics. Uh In the real world, though, I'm mostly a dedicated worker. And in my spare time, I like to do a lot of what I call spare time projects. And the Phoenix Party is one of them. And So I guess you could say I'm a theorist of sorts.
0: So given your background with the starting out Republican and then becoming a Progressive Social Democrat. What made you come to start the Phoenix Party?
1: I've come to start it in... in, Well, first off, I was inspired by by the uh, history of third parties in the United States. You know, when I was growing up, I was raised thinking it was a two-party system, you know, Democrats and Republicans. And mainly. Hey, but actually hey, even though they're in the minority, third parties have been responsible for some of the biggest changes in this nation's history. Hey. And I am sort of a historian by trade and an education. So oh you know, that sort of inspired me to uh make my own party. And that and when I first started and I figured I'd go center, the errant centrist, sort of behaving like the tiebreaker anchor of the crowd. And uh the and how the party and when the party started, I think has significance for some people. So in fact I found at the page on December 21st, 2012. So, that's a significant date for some people. Oh, And the idea behind it was to uh, uh, bring this nation into a new era. Era, one in which, you know, America becomes the country it aspired to be. So, that's the basic idea behind it.
0: All right, that sounds good. So kindly explain to us the platform of the Phoenix Party.
1: So the... I've had uh, uh, months to put put the agenda together, and it has evolved over time. time. So so whether we'll have time to go through it all is uh, questionable, but I'll certainly take you through it as best I can. And go for it. All right, so the oh, oh we'll start in the uh, broad areas in the all right, and that is is the we'll start with the political arena. Oh. All right. now, the party will be, be be, taking as best we could as it pertains to the agenda the compromise between focus on the individual liberty and focus on the community's benefits. And and yeah, the idea is if we take care of those, both of those as best we can, and we'll have better resilience for the future. In particular, better resilience against random events. And such as, you know, COVID, just to name one. And, here we go. Oh, computer just had a bit of a hiccup. And, uh, uh yeah. another thing, thing we might push for is a more streamlined system system, which could, would be adaptable, well, with fewer things to go wrong. And and we can even experiment with certain bills to see how they work out. Because uh, with a lot of the propaganda these between the two main parties, Is a lot of people are writing bills off just because they don't agree with them. Um, well, well, with some of them, and particularly with the recent bills, they have been tried in other countries, and they have been successful. So, yeah, I think it's wrong to simply write it off, off just because you don't agree with it. it you know, it's, So, if we have to, we can experiment with local districts and the area around them and then the states. And then we can go on the federal level level. And if they work, then they can be a more permanent presence. And if they don't, they can always be repealed. And of course we'll consult with experts analysis analysts. And and another thing it's because third parties tend to lack representation in the government. And, and and the Phoenix Party may also act on behalf of other third parties, taking what I at least believe to be the best of the third parties and merging them into one unified alliance. And because that's the main problem with a lot of third parties. They lack representation; they lack a voice voice in our government today. so next on the agenda, how uh, we make go for uh, progressive taxation and 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 for those who aren't from, I think equal taxation is ideal, however or er, or er, the wealthy and the elite can't. And do a lot more. So, we would advocate for progressive taxation. The wealthy can sure afford their taxes better than the less fortunate can. So, I think that seems reasonable. And one thing I don't think a lot of people realize you know, compared to most nations, although this is not always obvious for the common American, Americans live like the gods. So, what makes our wealthy think they can't spare a few more bucks? All right. So, next up, uh, and uh, well, now, ah, uh, lost my train of thought there. Yeah, <clears throat> we'll also push for a minimum wage. That is livable. Cool. And that's that's a common problem with our time. time. Many of the companies, particularly the big ones, are pretty much set on doing starvation wages for the people. You know, they can feed themselves, but you know, they could have children, they could have families. To provide for, or so they may have enough to feed themselves, or maybe pay the rent, but that's about it. And it's you know you can't exactly retire on those wages. And so, so I'm with Bernie Sanders on this one. We have to raise the wages to a living wage, and and get them seven in such a way that they rise with inflation because the costs of living have increased. The income has not increased with them. And that's causing a lot of economic problems. And the next thing we will go for is the civil liberties. Basically, everything that is listed in the Constitution and, and and human rights, right? You know, particularly once our economy starts to stabilize again, part of the Phoenix Party platform is to protect human rights aggressively and crack down on, you know, sex slavery rings, drug cartels, human trafficking, just to name a few things. Things. And then we can – and with the consent of our neighbors, we'll crack down on human rights violators all over the planet. And with the help of our allies, our enforcement of those human rights will be global. And uh, with economics, there's a a certain amount of planning that goes into it, and that is to address the – uh issues that are currently a uh, you know, you could say binding us uh, and that is climate change, just to name one thing thing. But uh, but the uh so oh, we might be in charge of the overall strategy, but the detail work uh, that goes into it, the initiative really lies with the individual schedule, the companies, you know, how they get there, it's up to them. And the next in line will be affirmative action to to push for equal opportunity employment and to prevent discrimination against employees and applicants on the basis of color, religion, their sex, their orientation, their national origin, et cetera. Yeah. And, and that's a problem I find all over the news in these times. times is, you know, We were raised to think, you know, oh, sensitive issues like racism, um, they're in the past. But if you look in the right places, they're still alive and well. No, And so we're going to go for affirmative action as a measure against discrimination. And I apply this same similar philosophy in my everyday life as well. Oh, you know, oh, I don't care about your color. I don't care about your gender. Er, 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 as long as you're not hurting anybody, I don't care about your religion. And, you know, you can be pink and from Mars for all I care. You know. All I care about is you get the job done with me. Hey, all that matters to me is your performance, your skill, and your ethic. You yeah. know? That's basically all you can discriminate on on and all you should discriminate on. And we'll be going for a mixed economy. Economy. I mentioned the, as earlier, or, or the uh, planned economy for carrying out our singular goal of great change from our party. party. But uh, we'll still keep a market economy that keeps the semblance of our nation's principles. So, and again, the reason for this compromise is better resilience it's against since random events. And, and yeah. next will be, uh, uh, social programs. And such as the Social Security, Supplemental Security Income, um, Temporary Assistance, Medicare, Medicaid. Those need to be expanded. Those need to be, be streamlined, they need to be better for because a lot of citizens, you know, they're in pits of financial debt and medical debt and, you know, behind on the front and, you know, and not all of it is through any fault of their own. They could have lost their job. They could have have fallen seriously ill and gone through major surgery, be out of a necessity, be to live, if, but that takes a big chunk out of their savings. So, so, what I would go for is Canada's model of healthcare. And, and you'll find this is a common theme throughout the Phoenix Party's agenda. Uh, I'm going to take take ideas that work elsewhere and apply it here. Here. Because if those countries are succeeding where we are failing, then maybe there's something we can learn from them. You know, Canada's health care system works. It costs much less per person, and yet it meets all the basic health needs covered Cover to the point that you can walk into the doctor's office for free for your basic needs, and you pay a lot less for anything major you need to go through. No. No. And next on the agenda is as we maintain separation and balance of power. Power. And that's one of the basic principles of our constitution and we'll adapt as the times require. Higher. You know, particularly the separation of church and state, you know, when and the ideas of your religion start to intermingle with the government, and a lot of times what you'll find is those ideals are often twisted for their own ends. And you just look around history and we see how oh, often that worked out. And as I, I've hinted at before, the Phoenix party party if big enough, will you know, be obligated to take the best of the third parties and act together. Whether it's major change like the Phoenix Party is aiming for, or a single issue that we agree with, then we could be allies. Nice, nice. And I've listened to some of the other parties on the podcast, and I find I agree with some of them. Yeah. So would it not make sense to become allies, particularly on that issue. So, yeah, that's pretty much the political agenda of the Phoenix Party.
0: Thank you for giving us an overview of that.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just the first chapter. <laughs>
0: What's the second chapter
1: they're going through uh economics,
0: okay, let's hear that uh,
1: all right. So I think a lot of what you'll find I mean, is on the economic agenda is is mega projects. you know I sort of have a thing for that right. and that is to transform our economy. Hey, you know, to start with, and we have we want to uh change the economic system from linear to cyclic. Like uh have you ever wondered where all of the stuff you buy comes from? Sure. Like, uh, give me an example of what you have, and it doesn't have to be anything fancy.
0: How about margarine
1: yeah. margarine, okay, and that's like that uh what food that looks like butter or yeah, like butter, yep, yeah, yeah, anyway,, hey, so uh, uh-. Uh, You just probably just bought it from the store, right? Sure. Right. Well, where did it come from? How did it get there? Who made it? As a customer, do you ever wonder about that?
0: Sure. A lot of people, or at least some people, are interested in the supply chain to make sure the product is ethical. So that is one thing I do think about.
1: Yeah. hmm Yeah. And and I'm not sure a lot of people think about that. That's, that's big. That's, you know, for the most part, you only see what's on the shelf. You only see what's shown on television. You only see what's on the billboard. Or. Sorry. And that may not be the whole story. Sorry. Right. Right. Sorry. And, and I often, and think about the products I buy, right? And, you know, I grew up sort of with an environmental consciousness. So I've taken steps to ensure that in the small town where I live, I can take, take the recycling to the local plant. And, and, and to make sure that gets reused, that's not you know, polluting our environment in some landfill somewhere. There. there. And also, oh, looking at, at a lot of products that we use, is also want to go through make sure there's no chemicals at the, what some might call the extraction or gathering portion of the chain and and you look at at the pesticides used in farms, for example. Well, what we find is, as a lot of those are, well, for one, they're they're killing off important pollinators, there's you know like bees and monarch butterflies among others, I'm sure. And also, it's sending toxins throughout the line and we're not even realizing that and yet these things are everywhere there, there. So, so a certain amount of regulation and reform may be in order there to make sure they're, if they're used they're used responsibly and if there's a better alternative is, then we should go for it, you know, regardless of of many companies' bottom lines. And that I think is a big problem. Um, um, and it's actually shown up throughout history. Profit incentives tend to have a human cost, and I don't think a lot of us realize that. So, would you agree with that? <laughs>
0: I would say yes, I can see how people can lack to see that.
1: So, um, um, yes, yeah, well, at the Phoenix party, we'll you know, aim to change that. that, that you know, so if you are worried about the company's bottom line, it's like, well, you need to change your game plan. You need to change your strategy because times are marching on, even if you're not. And if you gain more because of the changes, well, more power to you. So, you know, it's yeah an incredibly complex economic agenda, uh, but I've managed to condense it into 10 main mega-projects. And the first uh, up is our Grand Railroad Project. You know, I've been a fan of railroads all my life, and I also recognize their economic importance, particularly in America. Uh, And they're still an important part of our economy today. Hey, without all those freight trains rolling and our whole system may grind to a halt. Uh, And so wherever possible, wherever applicable, we would like to push to have railroads rebuild their old lines, upgrade their current lines, and have new lines built. Built. And not just the mainline railroads, Now it's uh, also regional railroads to connect all of our smaller towns together, and and industrial railroads to serve all the heavy industries, and and our urban transit systems. You know, I've had the pleasure of riding the entire Dallas area rapid transit system, or DART. All right, and that's a vital link for a lot of people from the suburbs to the jobs in the urban areas. And next up up is, is one that I'm not sure a lot of people have thought about, and that is the Grand Aqueduct Project. right? And that is to uh, uh, help cut down our, our CO2, new in the atmosphere. And the idea behind it is... Is you take water from areas with that have too much water and get them over to areas in the west with too little water there so so these aren't just your city aqueducts that's these are truly transcontinental cross country aqueducts All right All right and it doesn't take a huge leap of technology hey it's already present and we just have to repurpose it and with the design i have in mind and you don't need power stations and you just need a combination of tanks and a certain amount of hills hills so it just takes gravity and pressure there. and to get that water or at first, first we can use levees based on a design in China, which is actually quite ingenious. Uh, That levee uses two channels. A deep but narrow one and a wide but shallow one. And with that simple concept, it's seasonally self-regulating. Maybe The more water that's in the river, the more that the levee will take out. The less that's water that's in the river, the more it can go into the main river. And we can use our huge tank things in order to store surplus uh, for, you know, what one might call dry times. And The icing on the cake is we can use tall still towers which, using the sun, um, could boil salt water into fresh water. And that could add a little more into the system. And the next on the list is what I call Sky City Towers, and and that's based based on a design from and, and a concept from Tokyo that's currently in the works. It's, that is is basically a really big skyscraper, neighbor, and on a much bigger scale. Yeah, yeah. And the idea behind that is to to get people in the cities, cities concentrated in a relatively small area, and that would reduce the urban heat heat island effect. And there's a whole host of other possibilities, too. So, no. no. Which ties into the next project, and that's our Grand Power Project. And I'm not just talking in terms of electrical power, but also fuel. So, particularly for our vehicles, uh, we can take human waste and VF methods that are already present, transform the methane that comes from our waste and our trash through decomposition, and transform that into synthetic fuels. and you know we add to that that renewable energy, you know solar wind, geothermal thermal pretty much any renewable resource you can think of, and we're not just relying on one but combining them all together, and one of the most recent additions is is a type of heat engine that I don't think a lot of people have heard of, and that is a Stirling engine. And, and those basically run off temperature difference. And, and they're seeing a comeback in recent years because it's amazingly efficient. And so that may be implemented in our project as well. And one source source of fuel, which ties into the synthetic fuel tools so that that I mentioned is what I might call landfill mining mining basically, we take anything that's renewable, such as metals and plastic out of the landfills and reuse those and whatever decompositioning material is left over, there we can. And, again, transform that into methane, which, in turn, we can turn into synthetic fuels, which, by the way, are said to burn much cleaner than petroleum-based fuels so because they have no sulfur, no mercury, and when you look at it in a uh, in a glass, for example, it's clear here is water. So we have potential to reduce pollution already there. 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 And it doesn't take a huge leap of technology to do it. And so number five on the list is uh, the uh, Great Fertilizer Project. And the idea with this is to... uh, Help farmers produce more, and we can and also help reduce our carbon footprint and that way too and that is to take all the potential sources of fertilizer or particularly as they pertain to renewables and we'll combine them together and and basically we transform it into what's called Preta. that's Portuguese, that means black earth. And anything that grows in it grows really well. Well, oh, this has been tried on the Amazon with great success. That's a good amount of yield. And so we have a potential to boost food production, not just for us, but for people around the world. Oh. And there's a whole host of other things we can do as well. No, such as you know what I call cluster farms, basically getting a handful of arms together to make it easier for transport and reloading. Hedgerows we can use for forest products such as wood and fruit. And And get uh, hives for bees, bees, roosts for bats, nests for birds, you know, and try to transform it into what one might consider a more ecologically balanced system. And, And depending on what we have, we could also potentially restore some endangered species, such as the monarch butterfly. And next on the list is the Grand Recycling Project, which ties into my into the landfill mining project that, that I mentioned. And we recycle whatever materials we're able to. And also, so tying into that project is uh, cleaning what are called the great oceanic garbage patches. You know, it's, I don't think a lot of people know that, that some ships and even many of our cities dump their trash into the ocean and the environment is suffering because of it. So we need to actively clean that up. up so that, that other species can flourish and, and tying into the great fertilizer project, we can put in place mega hatcheries along the coast where we can have plenty of fish for the coastal communities to thrive, right? And, you know, feed our own citizens as well. Yeah. And, Another project on the list is, is what I collectively call the Great Lakes Canal. Now, now it's basically, a, we're taking some canals that are already present, such as the St. Lawrence, Erie, and a relatively unknown canal that goes from Chicago to the Mississippi River, and upgrade those such that the Great Lakes can also facilitate trade with the outside world. And and another project that is in the works is what's called the Grand Canal, the Great Becycling and Northern Development project in Canada, which could can connect the Great Lakes with the Hudson Bay. So you can take trade that way. And the next one uh is what I like to call the American Venice project, and that is is basically a rebuilding of New Orleans, turning it into the american Venice yeah. yes, and what I mean by that is uh uh taking all the buildings and houses that are below sea level, they'll prop them up to above sea level. Oh, okay. and also have emergency measures in place in case of larger than normal floods which as we've seen in recent years New Orleans as it is it's it's basically a big bowl in which you know once water overtops the levees these you know the the floods you know, once they happen, you can't stop them. And what's worse, the levees hold the water that comes in. In so, as it is, it's not a sustainable city. Okay. So the American Venice Project aims to change that, with New Orleans having the first priority, and. And if other coastal cities want to jump on board with that, well, then we can do that. We should do that yeah. and and a uh what one might call a social relations project would be the uh what I call the oasis of the Americas yes it's basically. A, a huge orphanage, it's a huge refugee camp, an outcast asylum, a safe house, and a sanctuary city. So, as you can pro- probably infer from um, what I've just gone over, the economic market involves a lot of grand projects. that from the Phoenix Party and there are certainly a, a lot of issues today in which we have to be bold because we're put in a situation that human civilization has not faced before. Or, And this is also one of the central tenets of the Phoenix Party. We want action. We want initiative. Because as a, I'm sure a fair number of parties have pointed out on your podcast, as the system, as it's set up right now, you know, if neither side budges, what results? There's no progress. As, you know, they're basically spending more time pointing fingers than and taking the actions that people demand. So, would that be an accurate assessment?
0: Yes, I believe a lot of alternative party people would agree with that.
1: Yeah. so there's potentially another thing we can ally ourselves on on as far as, you know, taking action and if there should be discussion, if there should be debate, it should be productive. Yes. Otherwise, you know, there's no point. You know, oh. you know, our arguments are basically falling on deaf ears. Yes. And if you've got no chance to change their mind, then there's really no point. Right, we'll just move on without them. Okay, right. so up next, next will be our environmental front. Right. So um, some of the projects will tie, that are in our economic department will tie into that. Right. And to start with, we have this with our grand aqueduct project that we tie tied into go for levees and what are called sabo dams. Dams and, and for those who aren't familiar, those type of dams and allow enough water for the normal flow. Oh, but restricted if it goes above that. Yeah, so that's what putting it simply. Simply. And the reason for those as opposed to a complete impoundment, as our normal hydroelectric dams play, hey, that disrupts perhaps migratory routes for or fish. You know, salmon is probably the best example. Example, but even for fish within the river, and some dams have taken steps steps to circumvent that, like fish ladders. But I think the Levy design that I I went over, or that may be a better solution, and particularly if it protects exo fish, and in that way fisheries become more productive within the country, country as well as along the coast. Huh. And with wildfires, which I think we're hearing a lot more of, particularly in California these days, is, you know, so, it's like, clearly, the system we have is, when we, some of the system we have is not working, and therefore we need to change our game plan, and what I've, I've learned in my studies of the environment over the years, is, is, a couple of things could work. Eric, even though one of them sounds counterintuitive. If one is forest thinning, think, think. So that's the potential for loggers. But as opposed to clear cutting a forest down, down to the last tree, you know, you just select every other tree. See? And that way, those of what remains... Grows better, better, and also that reduces the a potential fuel load, load, oh, and and prescribed fire. Fire that sounds counterintuitive, but uh, deliberately setting fire in such a way that it doesn't endanger anybody, but uh, it. Again, it clears out potential fuel, oh, which, you know, it's left unattended. That results in some of the big wildfires that we've seen over the past few years. And, of course, our our cities are suffering accordingly. You know, fire suppression should be used as a last resort when, when towns are in danger, when people are in danger danger, then, yes, fire Firefighters should be sent there, there, and also we want to uh, get those power lines, at least as many of them as we can, underground, so we can minimize the danger of fire from those ends, and to complement the wildfire management, and we also go for a an aggressive replanting program for cleared out forests. And, again, that helps us reduce our CO2 in the atmosphere and reduce our carbon footprint. And and there's potential for other economic incentives, too. No. No. So... As far as the environment is concerned, there's a lot of alternatives we can go for. A lot of them are are already present. We just need to go for them. And for some of the more expensive projects, the Phoenix Party would aim to fund those. That was so for a lot of these, it doesn't take a huge leap of technology to do it. And like a lot of things, the biggest problem is bondage with money. See? And going back to our political and economic chapters, there's, there's a lot of people mention, and, you know, of the federal budget, in particular, our military spending—you know—that's a lot of money that could otherwise go into uh, uh, social welfare programs. And and I've said this before, or the auditing where. The budget is climbing through the roof, you know, and to see that the money is going where it's supposed to be going, and through a sort of engineering of our military, which I'll go over later, you know, we could cut our military budget in half, sending that money to other or programs in the government. And, and we could still have the best military in the world. 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 And, yeah, we could use some of that money we need to fund a lot of these projects. Uh, uh, and going back to the progressive taxation, um... Uh, 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 How much do you think the rich, the ultra-rich, have stowed away somewhere?
0: I've heard a lot about this, so I would say trillions.
1: Yes. Yes. There is said to be $32 trillion. Trillion. In tax havens all over the world. World. I mean, could you imagine what we could get done with all that money? Money? Hey, hey, could you imagine the projects, the problems we could solve with all that? You know, it almost defies comprehension. Yeah. Yeah. And I think think that would come to a different way of perceiving money. Like some people think of money like it should be gold. Like something you should seek. Something you should stow. Well, the problem with that is it's not going anywhere. There. Like uh, uh, as an example, Here's an intellectual exercise. Do you have a dollar bill in your wallet?
0: I have a couple in my wallet upstairs. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. How much is that bill worth?
0: That depends what you mean as in worth. If you account for inflation, it's probably very little.
1: Mm-hmm. The uh, truth is, it's not worth even a penny unless you exchange it as such. Right, right. So, so you could have a stack of hundreds, but unless you exchange it, it's practically worthless. Yes. So we got trillions of dollars. there's, there's sitting in accounts all over the world, that could potentially solve many of our problems, and yet it's being held by private hands, who would not even consider giving it up. So I tend to think of money as more as water. Err, that may sound a bit. Uh, mundane, but if you look at what happens with water, you know, you hold it in a pool, what happens?
0: I'm sorry, if you look at water, then what?
1: You know, you hold it in a pool, oh, pool, or you dam it in a lake, what happens? It grows. Uh, uh, it stagnates. It's, it becomes it okay. Whereas, if you have a flowing thing, like you have in most lakes, or or especially a lot of rivers, catching oxygen, transporting nutrients, everything around it flourishes. So, in a similar way, pain, you know, the, the money, it should not, not always be how much you have, but rather how much is in circulation, and 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 that's analogy. I guess you know, is the Great Depression as opposed to the post-war boom, boom, boom. You know, the more money is in circulation, the more income you have, the more likely you are to spend it, the more likely. Businesses will flourish accordingly.
0: Accordingly. Hey. Oh, I'm hey. sorry. I'm sorry. So is the money part part of your economic plan, or do you have a separate monetary aspect of the party? Hey. hey.
1: hey. There is a certain monetary aspect, but that's just a broad idea. Okay. And, uh, that I'm putting forth there. So, so, that, I think, covers most of the environmental front. Ah, well, uh, another potential avenue we can use it is, is research and expeditions and to, to look for or potential resources, and also to complete our knowledge of the world, world, and in particular, man's effects on it. So that covers most environmental front. That's okay. So. Moving on to social matters, is I'm all about coexistence, and and you know, I was raised a Christian, yeah. and I'll share with you you know, uh, you know my favorite scripture, Esther, which permeates. Right? It's my attitude towards social matters that is, is to be attitudes it's, you know blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And that is the backbone of my personal belief of blessing no matter what you're made of. no. Oh. Oh. I have the fortune to be open-minded Ed, as are a lot of my friends. And as it, it stands, and as I pointed out before, I don't care what your faith is as long as you're not hurting anybody because of it. That's and as it is, you know, I just don't understand all these hate groups. I don't support the cause. And what's more, you know, anger, however understandable or justifiable it is, it doesn't get to the core of the problem. So, oh. oh. yeah, hope or hoping to unify people of many different faiths for a common purpose. You know, oh. I think of that as a right protected by the First Amendment. And, and you know, it protects your freedom of speech and freedom of religion. however, nowhere in it does it it say you have the right to murder others because of your faith and that I think is a common problem. problem religion itself is not the problem but it's frequently used as an excuse for people to commit you know evil, it's an excuse for them to commit murder. Murder. It's an excuse for them to exercise supremacy over people of other faiths, other colors, etc. And I just cannot go with that. And which ties into the next subject in this chapter. Um the Second Amendment, I'm sure there's a lot of controversy over the Second Amendment and, and now the idea here is uh, uh the Phoenix party is pro gun safety, and what I mean by that is if you are a responsible gun owner, then you should have nothing to be concerned about. Uh, because with a lot of these gun control advocates, it's one word you'll never find in any of their speeches is the word confiscation. Because they're not aiming for confiscation in mass. Uh-uh. What we're all aiming for is to keep them out of weapon friendly hands. And we already have laws in place that are just that are helping to do that. Hmm. And such as uh background checks, you know, for most Americans that's common sense. And we have red flag laws, which, you know, nobody likes to root out a kin. But if they're endangering the safety of others, then that should be carried out. Uh, and that could prevent a lot of the massacres that we're seeing over the past few years. So, oh is it going to stop all of them? No, I don't expect it to. So, the aim is to mitigate them, them to such a degree that there's such a rarity that they make the headlines. Like, does that make sense? Sure. And it's like these days, they're so commonplace that for most papers, they don't even make page eight. Eight. And frequently, they're swept under the rug because of that. And and also, I know the Phoenix Party, we like to aim for or reaching out with alternative methods of education which many of them do exist and many of them have shown surprising results and so yeah, if they are succeeding if they are succeeding where the mainstream is failing, then maybe that's something we can use that's something we can implement and and also aim to respect pro-choice. Right. Oh, nice. You know, pro-abortion rights. Right. Nice. You know, the idea here, there being being, we respect their choice. You know, if you want to have a child, then go ahead and have them. If you don't want to have a child, you know, whether because you're not financially ready or not emotionally ready or if it was an estate that was a uh, out of your control, then you can get the abortion. abortion. What I don't understand with a lot of these groups is, is they call themselves pro-life and yet, yet their actions don't really buy that out. They, their support for that unborn child stops as soon as the child is born. On. So, you know, you throw in what I just mentioned. They're not financially ready. They're not emotionally ready. You basically jeopardize the child's life right, almost from the get-go. So, and, you know, would it not make sense to give them the best possible start to life? in the background uh, we recognize that right we recognize the right to same sex marriage. Marriage. marriage and and you know we recognize your rights as individuals like, like you call yourself pro-life well fine but why force it force your decision on everyone else you know Simply because this is the truth. Everybody's different. Different. Not everybody is in the same situation. And not everybody was raised the same way. Hey. 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 And that's one thing I've grown to despise about politics over the years, is the hypocrisy that devolves around them. Um their actions don't really back up the rhetoric and these days I think those words are so cheap they're practically worthless their actions are speaking a lot louder than their words are and that's one of the things I like to aim for as a member of the Phoenix party is, is basic and uncompromising honesty Hey, you know you may not always like the truth, you know that's fine, but the truth does not need to like you in order to exist. So that pretty much that covers most of the social front, and I mentioned and and we reviving our military very earlier. And 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 part of it is, you know, auditing the military budget. Budget. Much of what causes our military budget to be so huge is what one might call bloated costs. Uh, uh, so, an audit of all the budget might help. Help oh, in that regard. And, and also, aim for what I call more cost-effective military. Like, I'm sure we've, we've heard of the F-22 and the B-2 and all those awesome weapons that we have in our arsenal. Oh. Well, well, I think the big one currently is the F-35. All right, And uh, uh, have you looked at how much each of those costs?
0: In the billions, for sure. Uh,
1: yeah, the whole project is billions. The F-22 costs a mind-blowing $150 million per plane. I mean... So... Um, in some ideal world in which there are no other spending priorities, you know, we could buy a lot of those on pure aesthetic grounds—the work of art. art. You know, they look cool. The technology behind them is awesome, and advancing technology means a lot of exciting things. But it's like in the real world, in which we have weapons and vehicles that are good enough, tough, and with lack of a major conflict to fight, why are we wasting money, high over money, see, on these projects when we could have used that same money for more, newer, and better versions of what we already have? Yeah. And like I said before, there's lots of other things we can use for that money. Hey. And you know, cheaper alternatives already exist. It's Like like the one I like to point to is the F uh, five, uh, the Freedom Fighter or even and the more advanced fighter chat that came after it and that is the F sixteen. Hey. And Basically, what I aim for in in redoing our military is is not necessarily cheap as possible, but uh, aiming for cost-effectiveness, you know, you get the most bang for your buck out of it. And another problem with a lot of these newer uh, jets is you can't afford a lot of them, And they represent such an investment of resources in production, in maintenance, that if you use them, you can't necessarily afford to lose them. So, so as far as the military is concerned, I aim for cost-effectiveness. As, you know, uh, not necessarily advanced as possible, but advanced enough. And with lack of a major conflict, just like, uh, right? You know, what's the point of spending all this money? You know, a lot of people I think think point to we need to to keep up a strong military, which I find that debatable. And and because that massive military spending is is good for the economy. Well, at best you should take that with a grain of salt. Oh because in the short term that might be adding cash to the economy, but it doesn't really add anything to it. And it. And Eisenhower warned us against, since the, the military and industrial complex, directly after World War II. No. No. And sure enough, what we're running short of is public investment. You know, things like better highways, better transport, better health care. Better energy system. Um, like Texas, as I understand it, could use an overhaul as far as their energy system. Um, like I'm sure you have experienced it. And it's like, I think you're in Austin as well?
0: Yes, I'm in Austin.
1: And that uh, blackout back this past winter, Andrew, I'm sure you've experienced that.
0: Fortunately for me, I didn't have the electricity go out. I, I believe they said because our area is by hospital, so they made sure to do it, but I did have the water go out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so you know firsthand about uh, the uh, energy problems that Texas is currently having.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: And so we could have uh, used it to, for one, connect Texas to the rest of the grid. And we could have used it to uh, go on to more renewable energy. And we it could have, in a sense, weatherproofed the system um, such that that does not happen again. Because another thing that hit a lot of people hard, as I heard it, is the electric bills, because of the way the power system is set up on that front. Like, for years, you've been paying, what, like five bucks a day, paying for electricity, and all of a sudden you're hit with a bill that's a whopping $15,000. There's, you know, like I said, we could have used that money to weatherproof the system. And yet, that's going back to the lack of action on the part of our government. And it's like, in spite of what happened, the government there and the companies responsible for those power lines did nothing. And, And that is one thing that infuriates me, among other people, I'm sure, is the lack of action, the lack of learning from the mistakes made, the lack of wanting to correct for those mistakes. Which brings me into one of my last chapters, and that is our foreign policy. And that will be a, we, a Phoenix party will recommit to uh, uh, global climate change, change, and clean energy, such as the Kyoto Protocol, among others. There's and one of the issues I find with America, as far as its foreign policy, is is that we seem to be creating conflicts, for lack of a better term, um, in the name of spreading democracy, okay. but that's, at best, that's a paradox, right. Because we seem to be, throughout the decades following World War II, promoting democracy through non-democratic means, which, would that make any sense to you?
0: No, it sounds like a contradiction.
1: Yeah, total contradiction. And that's sending mixed messages to the countries in which we enroll ourselves. And that promotes, promotes dictatorships accordingly. It has a tendency to promote dictatorships. And because they're not really winning through elections, they're winning through coups, they're winning through armed struggle. So, you know, they're winning by anything but democratic means. Means. And so we have to change our game plan on that front. That's, that's because, yes, with this paradoxical stance we're taking, and that tends to create more problems than it's solving. And the world is suffering accordingly. Hey, so, so we need to spread that message through different means, more peaceful means more democratic means. And indeed, one of the ways we could do that is through a compromise of free and fair trade, which is another thing I'm like. in for in the Phoenix Party. Hey, hey, you know, both free trade and fair trade have their merits. Merits. Both seek to help our producers gain access to the global market and improve wages so perhaps we could use the best of both worlds. And that could also be a means we could spread our democracy, say, hey, hey, here's the system that works. How about you try it? Oh yes. And we could always adjust it. It's depending on the nation involved. Oh and we could even and promote human rights that way, okay, so that everybody benefits. And that's always the point, point of the Phoenix Party. We aim, aim for a mix of the best, of a variety of systems, such that everybody benefits.
0: Sure. That sounds like good foreign policy. So we have the political, the economic, the environmental, the social, the foreign, you said there was another chapter?
1: That should cover most of the chapters.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that is and, a comprehensive platform. Yep.
1: Yep. And of course, I've had had a lot of time to put it together and uh, a lot of time to research a bunch of different things. And of course, it has uh, changed things. Gradually, over the years, as I continue to learn more about the world around me and the effects policy has. Sure, that that makes sense.
0: You get wiser.
1: But that is the uh, basics of it right there.
0: Okay. Where can our audience find this, your platform?
1: At the current moment, it's uh, just the Facebook page.
0: Okay. So the platform is at the Facebook page?
1: More or less. I've gradually, over a period of months and years, uh, presented my stances. Uh, Some of them are out of date at this point, but uh, most of it has not changed.
0: Okay. Okay. So so the Facebook
1: page... I have uh, uh, come up uh, even with a a bunch of things pertaining to the party, such as, you know, the symbol of the phoenix. Phoenix, I'm sure some people are curious about that. Yes. That, that, I chose the phoenix because it's a symbol of rebirth and renewal for immortality. You know, going back to its birth date and and the fact that I wanted to get a new era out of it, it's and it's you know, the Phoenix X is a mythical bird for those who aren't familiar that may go down in flames, but from the ashes it emerges renewed and stronger than ever. And through that cycle of rebirth it achieves immortality. And that's the reason I chose the Phoenix as a symbol for the body.
0: Yes, and that makes sense. I was I was wondering about that, how you decided to choose the Phoenix Party symbol. And that's a good symbol to choose that has a lot of significance, a lot of metaphorical significance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Basically, renewing the nation to bring it into a new era. And through that, the nation can achieve immortality.
0: Yes, let's hope that happens.
1: (laughs) I certainly hope so. So oh, and also, oh, oh, going along with that, and I uh, I came up with this uh, maxim or motto for the party. Right? What's that? And it is searching us pro orbis." That's Latin. It means "We rise for the world." So, and that's based on uh, what I got off of Google Translate. You know. Any expert in Latin could feel free to correct me on it if they want to. But uh, in my opinion, it makes the most sense, you know. And that's basically what we strive for. We rise for the world.
0: Yes. So you want to ascend and bring the world up with you, huh?
1: Yep. That's yep. Once sounds we rise, good. you know, we rise together.
0: Sounds good. So how can our audience support your party?
1: Well, you could start by uh, going to the Facebook page page, and, you know, hiking up on Facebook. Okay. That's uh, basically all I have at the moment okay. because, you know, my resources are not limitless. But if there's enough support, then me. And if there's enough expertise backing me up, then maybe we could even and put all those ideas onto an official site.
0: Sure. Right.
1: Which, you know, I don't have at the moment. But if anybody has any expertise on the subject, then, then feel free to join the party and feel free to chip in.
0: All right. So so contact you at the Facebook page then, huh?
1: Yep. And all right. That, for now, will be enough to start with. And All right.
0: Uh, yeah, who good knows start. where we'll go from there? Sure. Sure, we'll see where it goes. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We appreciate you giving us a overview of your platform and your party. Yeah. Yes, and
1: thank you so much for inviting me on, Andrew. Yeah, this is the a- first time in several months that anybody has taken a serious interest in the party, and I can't thank you enough for that.
0: I'm glad to do that. I'm glad that we are showing your views to the world.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah, hopefully we can get some change achieved.
0: Yeah, that's the goal.
1: And I'll share with you a maxim of mine at kind of closing. You know, silence, you Silence never invokes any change.
0: Change.
1: Change. So, you know, if you want it to happen, you have to go for it.
0: That's the truth.
1: So, yeah, that should pretty much cover the basics of it.
0: Excellent. We thank you again, and all the best to you and your party.
1: Thank you, Andrew. And keep doing
0: what you're doing. You do as well.
1: All right. Thank you very much.
0: Bye now.